standard issue for all women. Hello and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops in which I talk to the brilliant Rachel Crossley from the East End Women's Museum. Now you guys know me and if you don't, hi, I'm Hannah, I love history. So I had a brilliant time talking to Rachel. We talked about how the museum first came into being, which is a story I have heard many times, but still makes me go, wow, that is all coming up and it's completely brilliant. Talking of history, Joan interrupted this interview a record six times. So if there are bits where we seem like we're laughing, it's probably because I just gave up and let her show her bum to Rachel, which I'm not sure if she enjoyed. But here we are. Because we're talking about history, rather than plug something to you that's coming up, I thought I might give you a quick reminder of some of the stuff that you might have missed. In this week's podcast, which came out on Wednesday, Mickey talked to the brilliant Poppy Mardle about how funerals have been changed by the current crisis and how that's a change that may stay. And on that theme, I spoke to fashion journalist Naomi Barling. I know I don't usually do fashion, but I'm genuinely really interested in whether the fact that we've all basically just worn elasticated trousers and pyjamas for the last three months, whether or not that's something that might affect how we decide we're going to dress when we go back into the real world. And both Poppy and Naomi were really interesting on those topics. Last week we had two chops. Mickey talked to Penny Windsor about being a carer, which is fantastic. And I spoke to Dr. Helen McCarthy about the history of working motherhood. Again, really interesting. We have had an outside the box, which I think might be, I think the the outside the box in which we loved the most stuff. Mickey was talking about Crip Camp, which is great. I saw 16 shots. Again, really interesting. And we both absolutely love Michaela Cole and love what she's doing with I May Destroy You. You will find all of that wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to make sure that you never miss anything we do, just press subscribe again, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back on Wednesday with another pod scene. Take care. Hi, Hannah here. I am on the phone with Rachel Crossley from the East End Women's Museum. Rachel, we've been trying to do this for a long time, but other things have got in the way. And to be fair, they were all massive things like a pandemic. (laughs) Indeed. And I'm very glad we're able to now. So thanks, Hannah. (laughs) Perhaps you could tell me about how the East End Women Museum started. People may know it already, but it's a story that bears repeating. I think it's quite iconic, really. Back in the summer of 2015, a man, I'll just leave that there without comment. A man said he was going to set up the East End Women's Museum. That seemed really exciting. The kind of paperwork was out that looked really authentic and just the sort of thing that we wanted. And when it opened, it was revealed that it was the Jack the Ripper Museum. Oh, God. I mean, I know this, <laughs> and yet I'm still, I'm still as bad as the first time I heard it. It's quite chilling, isn't it? Whilst their official line was maintained that it was telling women's stories, the fact that they were selling Jack the Ripper cupcakes in the shop. And the logo was a man standing in a pool of blood, really strongly suggested that it was not about recognising women's contributions or, or celebrating their stories. So that still is around. It gets four stars on TripAdvisor. I don't recommend you go, but 
that's <laughs> that's up to you. And that's entirely independent of us. And what happened then, there was a big protest in reaction to that. And it really brought together a really wide constituency of people. And we always think if you manage to annoy and galvanise both the Clough War Women's Death Brigade and the Lay Sisters of St George in the East, the nuns mm-hmm. and the Lay Sisters there, then, then you've probably done something wrong. Yeah. If, if everybody from across that spectrum is telling you that. So there were kind of protests when it opened, but more than that, our founders, Sarah and Sarah, they were old friends and wanted to do something positive about it, didn't want to kind of let it rest or let this anger subside. And so said, well, we we know we need that museum. We want that museum. Can we start it ourselves? And so they did. Yeah. <laughs> they started by just putting a, a tweet out into the world and saying, should we do this? Who's with us? And 800 people got in touch in the, in the first couple of days to say, yes, and we'd like to help. And within the first week, the New York Times had been on the phone asking when they were opening. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of obvious they were onto something. Women are good organisers, but a, a week is, is, yeah. is not much time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think even though it took this kind of disappointing and frustrating and anger-making force it was a galvanizing force and it, and it was one that that showed that this was needed and it was wanted and it was possible um, and our founders made it possible so you are currently an online museum you've got such interesting stuff on there so perhaps you could talk hmm. us through what some of those exhibits that you have on your website are yeah when we started there wasn't a kind of big master plan and um, we just wanted to get some stuff out into the world and try and counteract the fact that it's an estimated 0.5% of recorded history is of women. Um, so we want to increase that percentage. So we've been online and also around East London, kind of acting as, as a pop-up museum. What we do is put women's stories out into the world. We research, we capture them, we share and celebrate. 2018, you'll not be surprised, was a big year for us, um, being the anniversary of some women getting the vote. We often work in partnership with um, local cultural and charitable organisations. We work with a number of partners, including Tower Hamlet's local archives and, and library service, and we recreated the headquarters of the East London Federation of Suffragettes. Um, so that was the kind of offshoot of the WSPU, um, which was led or, or founded by Sylvia Pankhurst, um, which was based in Bow. They really kind of lived their values and we tried to replicate some of that. So it was a political headquarters, but also essentially like a radical community mm. centre. So they had things, as did we, like childcare facilities and they had a cost price cafe. So we did that. It was like pay what you can afford with redistributed food. And there was also this kind of installation which told the story of the East London Federation of Suffragettes as well. And so we had that live um, in Bow, but we also have those stories on our website as well. So there's wider distribution. Another example is 2018 was two anniversaries. Not only the one I mentioned, it was also 50 years um, since the four Dagenham strikes, which you might know from the film Made in Dagenham. (laughs) A significant week to be talking about that because it was just the 50th anniversary of the Equal Pay Act 
which was the first time that, that men and women by law were kind of asserted to have the right to equal pay for equal work. And that was a direct result. Back in 2018, at the 50th anniversary of the Fort Dagenham strikes, we trained volunteers to take oral histories of women who worked in factories in Barking and Dagenham between 1938 and 1968. So kind of women in their 80s and 90s now, predominantly, sharing their stories. And it has some actually almost chilling contemporary resonance. They're talking about things like not having access to protective equipment and being oh. told to buy them themselves because they can't be provided for. And moreover, and more widely, their struggles for equality, kind of harassment at work and, and how they managed to, to get equal pay so, or make action towards equal pay, I should say. We obviously don't quite have it today. And with that material, we converted that into a live exhibition that popped up in libraries and community spaces and festivals. And again, it's on our website as well. So yeah, please do have a, have a dig around. Absolutely nothing I enjoy more than listening to old ladies talking in a really straight fashion no no glossing it no sugarcoating it this is just how it is it's interesting you say that about the PPE because I think also one of the things that is very striking about the Dagenham story is that women are expected to support men but men are not always expected to support women in return and I think you see that a lot now in in the current crisis how many times different groups are being told to sort of pipe down for the greater good and also what's going on in America at the moment about people needing other people to stand with them not talk over them not talk for them but just stand with them in this in this current situation and that was quite a lot of their struggle wasn't it yeah definitely I mean we're all for solidarity and that's one of the things that they talk about was particularly so a place like Ford had had lots of wildcat strikes that were led by men and the women would always support them. But yeah. then when it came to a, a women-led strike, there were some of the men, not all, but some of the men were not as supportive in, in return, absolutely. So, yeah, definitely need for solidarity then and, of course, now. Was there anything in those interviews that you learned about women that you don't think that maybe you knew before? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's the kind of detail and there's the... The broad story, you know, or, or I feel like I know around, for example, the sort of second shift idea that women go to work and they also look after the kids, but the kind of level of detail. So one woman is talking about the fact that the nursery charges, which obviously is still happens today, on a kind of five minute by five minute basis, mm. and that can wipe out her entire salary. And, you know, she's giving the figures even though this happened 60 70 years ago yeah. um so i think there's something it just brings to life and and almost that the specifics and the individual story kind of tells such a, a bigger story as well so you are currently an online space i was wondering if you could tell us about your plans to become an actual physical space yeah so this is really exciting so a couple of years ago we started a a really positive conversation with barking and dagenham council so in in east london and i should say we're called the east end women's museum but we talk about the whole of, of east london which is seven boroughs but yeah, Barking and Dagenham Council actually independently had a long-standing desire to have a women's museum in the borough. And it kind of makes sense in, in two ways, recognising some of the 
gender-based challenges around that, that area. So, for example, Barking and Dagenham has the worst domestic abuse rates in London, sadly, and one of the more pronounced gender pay gaps. And Barking and Dagenham Council have been working proactively to counter that. So they, they were like the first borough in the country to have a gender equality charter and um, to like make a commitment. But on the other, like more positive side, there's these amazing stories in the borough that aren't necessarily as well known and there wasn't a kind of permanent home for them. So Mary Wollstonecraft grew up in Barking at least uh, for, for some years. Yeah, yeah. I, the family moved around, but but she, she lived there as a child. The last living suffragette who only died in 1996, Annie Clara Huggett, lived in Barking. And the site itself that we're going to move to is oh, this like makes me so happy. We're just over the road from Barking Abbey. Barking Abbey in the medieval period was so an abbey run by abbesses, by, by nuns. That's the second reference for nuns today. I'm not used <laughs> to that. But anyway, and they were some of the most educated, uh, sort of learned and, and powerful women in the country. Indeed, some of the first known women writers that, that we know the names of were based at so yeah, we're going to be right next to them. So we've got this kind of really long geographical spread of, of exciting and inspirational stories that, yeah, aren't necessarily well known. So they had a site which was a retail warehouse. It used to be a comet warehouse that had been flattened and it's now being redeveloped. We're actually part of a new residential development. So it's really exciting. We'll be at the heart of a new community. And yeah, we're going to have a building it's going to be the only dedicated women's museum building in England which is massively overdue but also means it's incredibly exciting and and we know the level of responsibility that that we have around that and obviously things are a little bit up in the air at the moment yeah it's so difficult to tell (laughs) but we hope to be opening in late 2021 and when we do that, that's not to say we won't continue to, to work off-site as well around East London and, and continue to do what we do online. But it means that we've got a headquarters. And, and if, if apart from anything, it's this really powerful symbol, I think, of, of a commitment to women's history and women's stories. And also working class women's history, yeah, which yeah. is something that just doesn't exist generally. We had Alison Vale, who is an author who wrote a book about the lack of blue plaques for women. And a lot of the problem with the lack of blue plaques is of course, that there's nowhere to put them because a lot of working women lived in houses that are now were cleared in slums. So there there just actually isn't a physical property to attach something to. As well as working class women who are often forgotten, there is also within the East End a history of women of colour. Now, I know you are particularly interested in their experiences. Women's stories are underrepresented anyway. And then when you dig further, the groups that are marginalised and have been marginalised in society are, are even more missing. So things like the blue flags, things like the Wikipedia biographies where you have to have lots of sources in order to get there. So only 18% of those are the women. I need to share my other stats because this just blows my mind. That there are more statues of men named John in the UK than there are of named women. And there are more statues of goats than there are of named women of colour. And that is not good yeah. enough. <laughs> it's it's really not good enough. And we're really conscious that, you know, East London is this place of, of amazing, changing demographic. It's got incredible diasporic histories and, and stories there. So, yeah, we're, we're really keen that we are true to that and that we represent women from 
all kind of backgrounds and, and protected characteristics. So yeah, we, we'd really welcome. So at the minute, one of the things that we're doing, we have a group of volunteers. We have about 20 volunteers, but we're like really keen to open up that more widely um, of people who research stories and share them on our blog. And that might be within kind of more contemporary stories, like they might be talking to their grandma or a neighbour, and it might also be a more research and historical base as well. So, yeah, we'd be particularly interested in, in hearing from BAME women um, in those in terms of that. Particularly at the moment, given the general isolation that a lot of elderly people in this country are living in, just talking to them about their experiences will be doing them the world of good at this moment as well. I think storytelling is such a powerful tool and often people haven't been asked before. And one of the things, like I go to like festivals and community events and people will be like, oh, you don't want to hear from me. And then as, as soon as they start talking, there's, there's these amazing stories and, and it's all there, but it, it's hidden. And, and one of the things that we're not just interested in historic stories, even though they're really important to, to bring to the fore, but we're also keen to empower and to facilitate people to tell their own stories um, and those of their community. And one of the things that rings in my head is this idea that if you, if me, if, if us, if, if, as women, and especially women who might not otherwise always be recorded, if we don't do that, then we are like this phrase colluding with patriarchy because in a hundred years nobody will know our story either right absolutely make active change today to make our mark so we are known and acknowledged and valued absolutely my grandma came over from ireland married my granddad he almost immediately went to the war second world war he was in north africa with the royal engineers and my nan was in north london and i would say actually her experiences during those six years are way more interesting than his experiences during those six years. They were quite mm. samey, <laughs> whereas she <laughs> experienced some things, some genuinely horrific things, some very interesting things, some very funny mm. things. And yet everyone always asks their granddad what they did during the war and yeah. not their grandma, which yeah. I think is a massive mistake. I mean, we always say that. I wish I'd realised how interesting she was when she was alive. It's only now my mum tells me stories. Or we found a bunch of letters that she had written my my granddad during the war that contained stories that we had been entirely unaware of, including their house being hit by uh, a bomb, but they didn't explode. Um, and And because it didn't explode, I think it went into this thing in their minds that it wasn't a big deal because other people have had much worse. And it just got forgotten within within a piece wow. of like family oral history because there is that tendency to downplay your own experiences because you assume everybody's in fact I see that a lot now and I wanted to ask you about people recording their experiences within the east end now of this of what is happening of because this is we are absolutely living through history people should be keeping diaries or should be making some sort of effort, I think, to record their experiences during this for their children and for posterity. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are some great projects out there, like Mass Observation, you might know, has been going on oh. for absolute years. And, and they're actively collecting quite a few of the museums, like the Jeffrey Museum of the Home, which is based in, in East London, uh, Museum of London. Quite a few kind of uh, official routes to that uh, exist. So I'd, I would urge people to look that out. Um, but also, I would say... 
kind of more so than ever, we have the tools and opportunities to do that. Yeah. So whether that's like me and my mate record a five minute video every night of just random chat, basically, and what we thought about the day, um, which we never would have done otherwise. But, you know, in 100 years, it might just be a resource. I have been recording all of the Skype conversations I've had. Um, I mean, I tell them but with friends and family about their sort of experiences during this. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Absolutely no idea what I'm going to do with them. I said, probably knowing me, nothing. And then whoever finds them on my laptop can donate them to a museum in 50 years' time. But that's your, the because... equivalent of your grandma's letters, right? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Cool? <laughs> but almost immediately, people have forgotten things that they told me really early on in them. But also... I've gone off topic here, but but also when I spoke to my mum, who I speak to every single day, well, not so much now, but at the start of this, every single day, mm. but pretty much every other day during this, this has been going on. And I, I assume that I know everything about her. When I actually interviewed her and, as a mm. journalist and asked her questions, she said things to me that she wouldn't have said ordinarily. It was, wow. it was strange because I said to her, how, how do you feel? And she said, I feel old. I feel really old. I've never felt old before. And now I feel really old. And she'd never said, she never said that to me as a daughter, but she said that to me as a journalist, which I think was, That's so was interesting. quite interesting. Yeah. A different hat. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it, it is really fascinating. So tell me how people can help you, how people can get involved and um, how people can help or maybe give you stories if they have stories that they think are interesting. Yeah, so we really encourage people to, to get involved. There's a couple of ways. Our online content volunteers are, as I say, researching and, and sharing on our ever-growing blog of women's stories. So we would welcome other people to do that, including if you want to do a guest blog. So you could do one about your grandma's letters, Hannah. Yeah. Like it could be it could be a one-off. Um, and just get in touch with us. The, the email is on the website. Um, another thing we're encouraging people to do during lockdown, we're kind of going on more daily walks and exploring our local area. We've been doing hashtag women's history on my walk on Twitter and our Facebook. Um, so if you just hashtag that, we'll find you. And that's essentially encouraging people on the daily walks to find out more about the women's history they can see. So we've had people see blue plaques or brown plaques, street names, a gravestone, a monument, these kind of little traces. And sometimes they, they are quite minute, but a kind of re-focus uh, on finding that in the, the local area. And then they've kind of gone back to their desk and, and had more of a look and, and found out more and, and shared that with us. So that's a nice, quite easy one and, and hopefully a good um, family one and, and a bit of learning there as well. And yeah, we'd encourage people to, to keep following us and to sign up for our e-newsletter, find us on social media, um, because that's the first place that you'll find out all about our exhibitions, events, um, hopefully when we can have them again. We are doing some online talks as well. So we, we're doing a few of those in June. So it's worth looking at, at, out for those as well. Um, and just digging through our website. There's, uh, there's lots of rich material there already. And is there a way we can help you with the money in our pockets? I know times are hard, but if people are looking for, for a project to support, um, where can they go about supporting you? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it is a difficult time and, and I know some people won't be able to, but if people were able to make a contribution, we are a tiny, tiny charity. So we would really welcome anything you could spare um, and you can do that through our website. Um, so yeah, just go on to eastendwomensmuseum.org and you'll find the way to do that. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Standard Issue for All Women.